0: Thanks for tuning in. I am so grateful for uh, these guys and ladies who have stepped up to lead us in music over the last uh, couple of weeks. It has been a blessing to have that for us. So I'm grateful for that. I hope that you've enjoyed that. This morning, I would like to begin with a little bit of information for you and then a few praises. And then we're going to have a prayer specifically related to this Coronavirus pandemic, as we have for the uh, last—is this the fourth week, I believe? Now that we have uh, that we have done this remotely or um, televised or whatever term you prefer to use. First thing I'd like to say to you this morning is thank you for tuning in with us. I'm so grateful that we can meet together, though this is not perfect. It is an opportunity; these are unprecedented circumstances. But as your church, we are continuing continuing to work to provide. Um, adequate resources for you to grow. We want to continue to check on you as often as we can. I do want to remind you that um, all of our services are canceled for the time being, or at least they are canceled in a a, a traditional sense. Next Sunday morning is Easter. And next Sunday morning, we are going to gather here. We're going to gather in a different kind of way. We're going to maintain our social distancing. So long as the governor continues to allow that to be acceptable, we are going to have a parking lot worship here. On Sunday morning, we've got a flatbed coming in. I'll be preaching like a real evangelist off of a trailer, so this should be really good. Uh, we'll have live music for you. We, uh, we're going to ask you just to pull your vehicles in, stay in your vehicles. If you want to back a truck in and sit in the, in the bed of the truck, as long as you stay in the truck, we will allow tailgating as long as you stay in your vehicle. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are going to uh, we're gonna gather and we're going to sing praise to the Lord. We are going to be uh, as together as we can be on Easter Sunday, and I'll just be honest with you, I I'm almost giddy about it. I'm that excited. It is not at all what I want for our Easter service, but I'm going to tell you something. I can't wait, and I really hope that you'll be able to be here Uh, parking when you show up. We will send out some more uh, information about this as the week progresses. Parking will be a little bit different, a little bit awkward. We're going to ask you to be very considerate. If, If you live in one household, please don't come in three vehicles. Come in one We're not going to ask you to pick people up. We want to recognize that social distancing. But if you live in one household, please come in one vehicle so that we can make uh, as much space available as possible. Please know that if you are at home and you don't feel comfortable doing that or if you just can't get out next week, we will have our live stream next week as well. It will be a little bit different. We will be live streaming from outside. The quality might not be quite as good as we we have been able to provide for you the last few weeks, but we will still have a live stream so that those of you who for uh, whatever reason are not able to be with us can still view this at home. Uh, I am am grateful for that and I am so very excited. Uh, I want to share a few praises with you. I, I want you to know that in the midst of of this coronavirus pandemic that we have endured thus far. We have a few people in our church that have tested positive and have recovered and I want you to know that. I want you to know uh, that this is a serious thing that we should pay attention to but I want you to know that it's not a death sentence for most folks and some of our folks have, uh, God has been very gracious and they've been able to come through this. Uh, We've also had some folks have some other health issues during this time and God's been gracious. Brought one of our, our men home from the hospital just this week after some surgery. Lots of other things are happening so I want you to just know that not everything in the world is bad. Uh, God has been gracious to allow us to reach many people through these YouTube streams, whether it's been uh, our our traditional Sunday morning service, our Wednesday night stuff. Uh, Kevin's done some pretty neat things for our children. If you haven't seen that, there's been some of that as well as some Bible studies. We're going to be doing even more of those things. So those opportunities exist for you right now, and I want you to know that. I also want you to know that God's been gracious. Many of you have, have been able to... Uh, find a way to do a different form of tithing and thank you so much for doing that you've you've given online you've mailed in your checks and and as a result uh we're we're able to continue to move forward i want to encourage you if you are watching this at home and you're not a part of Malvern, he'll do me a favor, write a check to your church, okay? We're we, uh, we, we grateful that we can minister to you, but just know that there are churches across our, um, across our lands right now, everywhere, that are, that are trying to figure out how they're going to navigate these waters. So if, uh, if you're watching our live stream because maybe your church can't do this or whatever, please, please, please take care of your church family. Uh, that, that, that's a real need. But for for the folks at Malvern Hill, thank you so much for being faithful thus far. And I I hope that you will continue to do that as the days move forward. Please let us know if you have a need. If there are needs that we can help with, we want to do what we can. We can't do everything. Uh, But if you're having trouble, if you're struggling right now, we we want to know that. Our, Our deacons want to know that. Our life group leaders want to know that. If you need somebody to shop for your groceries, please let us know. Contact your life group leader, your deacon, call your pastors. Uh, If you have other needs, let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to meet as many of those needs as we can. We recognize that just because the world is shifting does not mean that needs have disappeared. In some instances, they've multiplied, and we recognize that. And we want to do what we can to care for you. Uh, uh, Finally, let me just uh, thank um, publicly all all the folks that have uh, just pitched in to help out with all the things that are happening for your church Um, Some of our folks have really flooded with uh, some cool videos. I've enjoyed watching the way that some of y'all have just given some personal videos on our Facebook page. Uh, Rhonda went and found a a really neat little uh, sermon study guide that kids can use as they're following along at home. So uh, we emailed that out as well. Adam's been putting out some uh, uh, Bible study videos for our kids of course, Buster's been coming in and, and, and singing and helping with that, and I'm so grateful for that, as well as Kevin and Deanna, many others who have done a lot to uh, to make sure that these things continue to happen. We've, we've had folks really come together and pooling their resources to help us with some of the needed technology things that, that exist out there. So I do want to thank you for those things. Again, just welcome. It is just a privilege to be with you. This morning, I want to go back to that same prayer that we've been praying now for the fourth week as we go and we, we beseech the Lord that He would intervene in the midst of this crisis. Would you join with me in prayer this morning? God, we come to you asking that you would have mercy and that stop this pandemic and save lives. God, we pray for Camden. We pray for our state. We pray for our nation and our world, Father, We face an enemy that we cannot see and for which we are ill-prepared to fight, and, Lord God, we don't really understand. But we do acknowledge that in the midst of these times that your hand is not shortened so that it cannot save, and your ear is not dull that it cannot hear. Father God, we acknowledge, understand, and praise you that you hear our prayers, and we pray, Lord God, that you would bring healing. Father, we pray for our President Donald Trump. We pray for our governor and other government leaders, international, federal, state, and local. Lord God, we pray that they would have the wisdom to direct us in the best course of action for prevention and care. That, Father God, you would give us a will. And a heart to be obedient to your word in Romans 13 that urges us to be subject to the governing authorities. Father, let us acknowledge that all authority ultimately comes from you. and That those that exist have been instituted by you, Lord God. I pray that our governing authorities, that our our leaders, Father God, would find wisdom from you. That they would run to you and that there, Lord God, they would find direction and hope. Father, Scripture also teaches us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our own hearts. Father, I pray that you would give wisdom in this moment of fear as the foundations of what we know are shaken. Lord, I pray also that many would realize how fragile life is and how real eternity is. That that God, as a result of this virus, this pandemic, that they would see their need to turn to God, Lord God. So teach us to number our days. Father, I ask that you would protect our missionaries and their families around the globe. I pray that you would use this global crisis to advance your good news to the whole world. Father, I pray for our International Mission Board. I know, Lord God, they have many difficult decisions even that need to be made in coming days. I pray you would give them wisdom and understanding. But Lord, we know that it's not only our IMB missionaries, there are others, Father God, others that we we have supported as a church, missionaries of the Greater Europe Mission and others. Father, I pray that you would bless them, those who are still abroad and those, Father God, for whatever reason, who have had to come home. But, Lord God, regardless of how it is that you would work and protect them, I pray, God, that this virus would be used to expand your kingdom. That, Father God, your great commission will continue to go forth with power as they go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Lord God, we also pray for medical personnel. As we've said many times, we say again, while the rest of the world is running from this, our medical personnel are running toward it. Father, I pray for doctors and nurses on the front lines. I pray, Lord God, that you would protect them from this novel coronavirus and all of, other, of the other illnesses that spread across our world, from HIV to Ebola and seasonal flu. Healthcare workers across our globe are risking their own health to try to improve the health of others. God, I pray that you would protect them, that you would give them courage in the days ahead, Lord God, that in a very real sense they would be the hands and feet of Jesus as they seek to minister, whether they be ministering here in Camden, Lord God, or in New York City and field hospitals that have been set up. For, Lord God, those who are serving on our Navy ships that have become hospital ships, Lord. For those who are serving across our globe, Lord, I also pray for the scientists, Lord God, and researchers who are searching for cures and treatments, Father. I pray that they would move quickly, that, Father God, you would give them wisdom and understanding. They may be able to find treatments that are effective. Father God, finally, we pray this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus, who can save from pestilence, plague, and poverty. We pray it once again, Lord God, in the name of Jesus who brings hope to the hurting, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and the dead to life. We pray it in the name of Jesus who has overcome death, hell, sin, and the grave. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ whose triumphal entry we celebrate today, whose death we will observe on Friday, Lord God, and praise God whose resurrection we will celebrate on Sunday morning. We pray this in the name of that Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Once again, I thank you so much for being with us. I do wish I could look into your eyes as we preach this sermon this morning, but I can't. And so I'm glad that you're gathering in your dens or in your kitchens. My own family is gathered around our our living room or our den television this morning as I'm here preaching to you. This morning, I'm going to do something that I don't believe I've ever done in the history of my time as your pastor here at Malvern Hill. I'm going to preach to you a sermon that is almost identical to a sermon I preached to you last su- last year on Palm Sunday. As I was preparing for what it was that I would preach to you this morning, I knew uh, and had planned for many weeks now that, to be preaching from the exact same text, but it didn't occur to me until I was working this week through this passage of Scripture that the sermon that I would preached last year really hits the nail on the head for where we are today. And so with just a few changes. This sermon is very similar to what I preached to you last year. If you're taking notes at home, some of you may find some of this to be familiar, but I hope that that familiarity only proves um, to, uh, to produce in you a greater confidence to trust in God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 11. The book of Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I know you're at home, but I'm going to ask you as I have done and the last few weeks, to stand with me even there at home. Don't spill your coffee, but stand with us as we read God's Word. The Bible says this. This is a long passage of Scripture. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said, "...May no one ever eat fruit from you again." And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple." And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Will you allow me to pray with you one more time? Father God, I pray that this word would come alive in our hearts. That, Father, even in these days that that in in moments seem dark, that we would be reminded that Jesus deserves our praise. Thank you that Jesus came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and that, Father God, He was willing to give His life on Good Friday. We celebrate, as we will next Sunday, that on resurrection morning, He got out of the grave. Father God, I pray today that the light of the resurrection would shine brightly in our lives as we consider Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Kathleen Parker is a Camden resident and a syndicated columnist. In an editorial this week, she wrote that as a young mother many years ago, her son vanished from her sight when she turned her back for just a few seconds to water some flowers. Frantically, she ran to the street. She began to call his name, looking in both directions, and after just a few seconds, a police car suddenly materialized. Have you lost your child? The officer asked. Yes, she screamed. Did you find him? No, he replied, but you just have that look. Many of us have that look today, the look of confusion, fear, panic, anxiety, brows are furrowed, hellos are cautious, and there's that awkward dance of social distancing and isolation. I was in the grocery store yesterday morning, and everybody sort of dances around one another, trying to avoid all the contact that they can. As we walk in our neighborhood, we have neighbors that wave and approach us to speak, but there's this cautious distancing That everyone keeps between them. Just Friday night, I went into a restaurant locally to pick up some takeout food. I'm trying to honor our our CDC's guidelines. I put on a mask for the very first time before I walked into that place. I felt a little ridiculous, like many of you no doubt will. Um, But I was encouraged because even behind my mask as I walked in looking like I was fixing to rob the place, the the, the proprietor of the restaurant, the lady behind the cash register, recognized me from my eyes up. She said, oh, Mr. Thompson, we have your order ready. It's different, isn't it? Everything is strange. This is a unique time for us to celebrate Palm Sunday. It is a day when we desperately need a Savior to ride in and set the world right. We need a king who understands. We need a king with a purpose. You know, when Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday, he left no doubt as to his purpose. His arrival at the head of a ragtag ragtag band of followers, riding a donkey, was an allusion to his purpose. And his cleansing of the temple was an exclamation point. The king had come to assume his throne, and he is still the king today. I want to emphasize today that He came. We are speaking of a historical record. This is not an idea. We're talking this morning about what Jesus did. Today we are concerned about the present. Many of you are worried about the future. You're not sure what the next two weeks or two months or even 12 months might hold. But let me tell you what coronavirus cannot change. It cannot change the past. Writing to the Romans, Paul reminded them, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The struggles of today will not compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us, but the struggles of today will also not change the victories that Jesus accomplished in the past. The struggles of today do not undo the victories of the past. We observe Palm Sunday today not because of what is going on in the world around us right now. We observe Palm Sunday because of what went on in the world 2,000 years ago. The COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 is a historical event, but it pales in comparison to the historical event. Don't forget, Jesus is the hinge upon which all of history swings. History will remember coronavirus 2020, but history hinges upon the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is no pandemic, there is no war, there is nothing in all of the world that will ever change the reality of Jesus' life Death and resurrection on your behalf. There is hope to be found in Jesus no matter how dark the days may seem. We are living in an incredible and challenging time. But just know that when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, it was also an incredible time. It was a time of great expectation. N.T. Wright compares the arrival of Jesus to a perfect storm. There was a Roman storm brought about the, by the imperialism and control of the Roman Empire. There was a Jewish storm that arose from their nationalistic and religious hopes. Left alone, these two forces served to keep Jerusalem and Judea in a sort of quagmire. The Jewish nationalism on one side and the Messianic hopes resulted in regular uprising and efforts to overthrow and to throw off the chains of Roman oppression. And and, and make no mistake about it, for a people whose ancestors had seen God rescue them from Egypt with his strong strong and mighty right hand, for those people whose ancestors had seen God dry up the Red Sea so that they could walk through it, for those people, they had great confidence in the ability of their God to overthrow the chains of Roman oppression. They were confident that God could do to Rome what he had done to Egypt. We are living in an incredible and challenging time in human history. But the greatest event in human history was the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are dark days, but they are not darker than the hopes of Israel when Jesus came. These are dark days, but they are not darker than the stains of our sin. These are dark days, but they are not hopeless. These are dark days But there is still reason for praise. And so this morning, my big question for you is this. Will you praise Him? Will you praise Him? Will you praise Him in these hard days? Will you praise Him if the days get darker? Will you praise Him regardless of how you feel? Will you praise Him because He is worthy? This morning, I want us to see, first of all, that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. The scriptures show us this. Now, all the way back in Genesis 49, 11, Jacob blessed his sons and he prophesied, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. An expectation, um, I'm sorry, I missed my, my word there. And to him shall be, let's start that over again. I really hate that all this is being recorded live for the whole world to see my mistakes. All the way back in Genesis 49 11, Jacob blessed his sons and he prophesied this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. You see, there was an expectation that the Messiah, the rescuer of Israel, would come from Judah as it had been prophesied. The fact that Jesus is from the line of Judah is just one prophetic reality, one prophetic promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. In another one we see uh, this morning in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey. But it is not only this specific prophecy, we see other scriptural hints that lead us to understand what's going on. So understand, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey, but not just a donkey. The Bible's clear. It says on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Bible says that Jesus told his disciples to go and find a colt upon which no one has ever sat. Why? Multiple times in the Old Testament, we are told that animals who are to be set apart for a sacred task are to be those who have never been worked or have never been ridden on. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And watch this. Jesus doesn't want there to be any confusion when He rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday about what His purpose is. Jesus wants to make sure that everyone knows that He is the king he tells his disciples that this is a sacred animal set apart for a sacred task and the sacred task that that animal is going to accomplish is that he is going to carry the messiah into jerusalem so that he can be recognized as the rightful king of the jews jesus is the king that the jews had waited on and he knew it and he wanted to make sure that he left absolutely no room for doubt We must never fall prey to the suggestion that Jesus gave in to the whim of a crowd, that it created fervor on Palm Sunday. We must never lose sight of the fact that this wasn't by an accident. Jesus rode into Palm Sunday and created the fervor and the excitement on purpose. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus arrived on purpose With a purpose. He came as the fulfillment of prophecy to declare His place as King and to die for our sins. He is worthy of our praise. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. He continues to be worthy. Will you praise Him today? Will you praise Him? Will you praise Him? Will you reflect upon the fact that even though you're stuck in your living room right now, Will you reflect upon the fact that even though you can't celebrate Palm Sunday the way you want to celebrate Palm Sunday, will you rejoice with me in this fact? That the the the, the sufferings of our present moment can't compare with what is to come, but the sufferings of our present moment also cannot undo what Jesus has done. He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to declare his rightful place as the king. And he did so as the fulfillment of prophecy and he wanted to make sure that the whole wide world that was present right there in Jerusalem, all of the people there in Jerusalem, all of the Jews who would see him, he wanted to make sure that they understood completely what he was doing. This was no accident or coincidence. Jesus came from the line of Judah He came mounted on a donkey, specifically on a foal, on the coal, or a a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus set apart an animal for a sacred task. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the promised Messiah. Will you praise him? Second thing we see this morning is that Jesus is in charge. Jesus makes the rules. Do Do you recognize that in this passage of Scripture? Now, Jesus is in charge from the very get go. He says to his disciples, go get this, this donkey. He tells them where it is and what it's going to be for. When he shows up, where they show up and they get it, and he, he, they, they say Jesus needs it and, 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 and it's given to him for his sacred and intended purposes. The Bible says that Jesus rides in. The first thing he does, he looks around. He observes what's happening in the temple and then he leaves. Jesus kind of scopes out the situation. But notice that throughout this, Jesus is setting the agenda. Now up to this point in Jesus' ministry... Even though he's always been in charge, Jesus has sort of ignored or pushed away the spotlight. There, there's the messianic secret that, that New Testament scholars like to speak about. And Jesus wants to keep it under wraps for the majority of the three years of his ministry of exactly what he's doing, right? So, so at one point, when he's casting out demons, he forbids that they tell who he is, right? Because Jesus doesn't want all of the fanfare. He has a job to do, and he's going to do it on his own terms, but Palm Sunday represents a dramatic shift. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is no longer avoiding the spotlight. Remember what I said, all of the people anticipated the, the fulfillment of prophecy. When Jesus showed up on Palm Sunday, he wanted to make sure that he checked all the boxes so they would know. There was no longer this thought that he might be. At the very least, there was a, an understanding that he was declaring himself to be the long-awaited, prophesied, and anticipated Savior of the Jews. He's not avoiding the spotlight. He's embracing the spotlight. When he sent his disciples after that cult, he knew full well what would happen. And as the Galilean pilgrims, those processing into Jerusalem for the Passover, who, by the way, now we're, we're, we're going to look toward Good Friday and, and we recognize that there comes a point in Jesus's ministry where the crowd turns and, and those crowd, the, the crowd is chanting for Jesus to be crucified. Keep in mind, this is not the same group of people. The people who are processing into Jerusalem, these are the out-of-towners who are coming into Jerusalem, the Galileans, many of whom would have already been affiliated closely with the ministry of Jesus. And as Jesus begins to ride in, there's already been a furor about who this might be. And as Jesus begins to ride in, assuming his place upon that colt, all of a sudden everybody around understands what's going on. And all of these Galilean pilgrims are coming in, and as they march to Jerusalem, they see Jesus suddenly mount that donkey. They had considered prior to this that he might be the Messiah, but now they're not just guessing. He's declared it. He's in charge, and he wants everyone to know it. And so they begin to cut palm branches and lay them down before him. The people are waving these. They're laying their coats out. Now we can look back to the coronation of Jehu in Second Kings 9.13 9, and see that apparently this is some kind of a Jewish custom, some sort of a practice that they use to recognize the coronation of a new king or to celebrate a great victory. When they began cutting down these palm branches and laying their coats before Jesus, do you notice that Jesus didn't stop them? Jesus instead welcomed it. There were great expectations of a Messiah who would come and throw off the chains of Roman oppression, but not everyone thought this was a good idea. Rome was bad as far as most of the people were concerned. But some of the Jewish leadership had gotten fat on Roman rule. As Jesus rode into town, many of the faithful laid down palm branches and cast their cloaks before him. They began to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! But others stood by and sneered. According to Luke, some of the Pharisees in the crowd told him to rebuke his disciples. But Jesus was in charge here. The Pharisees didn't get to set the agenda. Their rules did not matter. He rode into Jerusalem, and then he rode to the temple to scout things out. On Sunday, Jesus arrives, and he sets the world of Jerusalem on edge. On Sunday, he makes it pretty clear that he is the king and that he's come into his city. But on Monday, he leaves no doubt. Monday marks a drastic turning point even in this dramatic course of action for Jesus He walks into the temple on Monday and he makes a very clear declaration under no uncertain terms that he is the king. Israel was not a democracy or a republic. This is difficult for we as Americans to wrap our brains around. We celebrate the separation of church and state. We've enshrined it. And and, and even as as a Baptist pastor, I celebrate it because I don't want the state sticking their fingers into the church to tell us what we can and shouldn't or or, or can um, and cannot do. But America is unique in the history of the world. Very unique. And the idea that the church and the state would be separated is a very secular and new idea. In ancient Israel, there was no republic, there was no democracy. In ancient Israel, they were initially a theocracy, ruled by the priests and the prophets, but the people rejected that theocratic rule. They wanted a king. And so from the time of Saul forward, Israel was a monarchy. And in a monarchy, there is no separation of church and state. Instead, the king sets the tone for the political, economic, and even the religious life of the kingdom. In Israel, and particularly in Jerusalem, the king was in charge of the temple. This is why we begin to see, or we can look back, and we can see um, religious reform that would take place under the rule of certain kings. The kings were directing and driving the religious practices of the people, when Jesus walked into the temple and took control violently, and that's what he did. The Bible says there that he came into Jerusalem, he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in the temple, uh, who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything into the temple. In other place, we see that Jesus made a whip and he drove people out of the temple, and in that moment. In that place, Jesus threw down the gauntlet. Caesar isn't king here, he says. Herod isn't king here. Jesus says, I am the king. The chief priests are not in charge. I'm in charge, and I make the rules. Understand, this is what got Jesus killed. No one was going to crucify Jesus for being a bold preacher or a faith healer, but when Jesus threatened to upset the power structure of the world, he's just declared himself to be an enemy of the state. When we quote this passage related to the importance of prayer in our places of worship, though, let's be careful that we don't miss something. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But this was no passive action from Jesus. Remember, Jesus has just walked in and overthrown the tables. He's driven everybody out. He stands up and he boldly proclaims, My house shall be called a house of prayer. The prayer that Jesus called for was no passive activity. Jesus is commanding a sort of wartime prayer. It's an active prayer. And Jesus is commanding that his house become a place of powerful, passionate prayer. Let me ask you this, what kind of prayers are you praying today? What kind of prayers are you praying today? Are you praying with expectation to the King who is able? Are you confident that Jesus can wipe out coronavirus? Are you even confident that perhaps He could use this evil for His good purposes? Are you willing to make your own house? A house of prayer today. We can't be gathered in this sanctuary. Can I tell you that this sanctuary is not the temple of God? And when Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, Jesus wasn't saying that this particular building at 1514 Malvern Hill Drive in Camden, South Carolina, is to be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus was saying that his people are going to be serious about praying. He resides within his people. and Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is present with his people. Now, is it my hope and prayer that this building would be a house of prayer? Absolutely. But I want you to know that your prayers need not be hindered because you can't gather in this sanctuary. Your prayers need not be hindered because you can't gather together physically with your life group. God hears the prayers of His people. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I will heal their land. Will you pray today? Will you pray those kind of bold Passionate prayers, those wartime prayers. Anyway, Jesus wants to make sure that the world knows he's in control, that he makes the rules. And for his followers, do you know that he continues to make the rules today? He is still in charge and he deserves to be praised. Will you praise him? You see, you don't get to put your expectations on Jesus and see him bow before them. You and I don't get to dictate the rules to Jesus. He is in total and complete control. He's the king. I read an editorial last year that said that the future of Christianity looks like Lady Gaga and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Folks, I can tell you that the future of Christianity doesn't look like Lady Gaga or Ocasio Cortez or Donald Trump or Billy Graham. The future of Christianity looks like Jesus because he is the king and he makes the rules. Coronavirus does not get to change Christianity because it is not the God of this world. It is an evil invader in God's good creation. And the time will come when Jesus will stamp it out just like he will wipe away every tear. Jesus is the King and He's in charge. He makes the rules. He gets to make the rules. And He gets to demand our praise. Will you praise Him this morning because He's in charge? He's worthy. He's worthy. And even though the world to you may seem like it's spinning out of control, can I tell you that Jesus has not lost control. He's still in charge. He's not yet been surprised and He won't be surprised no matter what this world may bring. So this morning in this passage of Scripture, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. We see that Jesus is in charge. And finally this morning, we see that Jesus demands praise. In Luke's account of the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the crowd that if the people were silent, the very stones would cry out. The rocks would cry out. Jesus commands and demands praise so much that even if we keep our mouths shut, nature will continue to sing His glory. Now there's some of you no doubt sitting at home today going, Craig, what does this have to do with how it is that we would cope with these days? Some of you are concerned about how you're going to pay your light bill next month. Some of you are concerned for an elderly parent or grandparent. You're not sure what your job situation holds in the next weeks and months. So you say, Craig, how does this apply today? Craig, what does praising Jesus have to do with my particular situation? I want to ask you, if you have your Bibles, to turn them with me to the book of Job, chapter 38. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, technology is our friend. And I've asked to make sure that these verses are going to be right up there on your screen because I want to make sure that you're able to read along with me. Now let me just give you a little bit of of background here. Job is in the midst of a terrible trial. You think your world is dark today? Job's lost everything. All of his children, all of his possessions, his friends have shown up, and they have been terrible counselors. Because instead of grieving with Job, they've sought to blame Job. Job has demanded that God give answers. At some point, Job even says, if he were here, I would talk to him. But of course, I can't, so I need somebody to get in the way. But if if he would just answer me. And for 37 chapters, God is silent. But then we get to Job 38. Now, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Your screen's going to pick up in verse 4. And verses 4 through 7 is where we're going to focus. But the Bible says that the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man, I will question you and you will make it known to me. God says, Job, brace yourself. This is going to hurt. Beginning in verse 4, God asks this question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who outstretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We continue reading. He says, Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come and no further, and here you shall be your proud way. here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? He's going to go on and say, Job, answer me if you know so much. Job's reply at the end of all this is going to be this. God, I had heard of you, but now I have beholden you. God, I had heard of you in my ears, but now I've seen your glory, God. In the middle of dark days, Job cried out to the Lord. Job thought he knew what was best. Job wanted answers from the Lord. Why, O Lord? Do you know what God's answer to Job was? Job, I've got this. Job, I'm in control. He said, Job, stand up because I'm going to put it on you. And what God did was to unload upon Job all of the responsibility of what it would take to create the world. And all of that burden weighed on Job's shoulders. The Lord said, Job, can you handle it? Job, can you bear it? Job, can you shoulder it? And essentially God says, I can, and I have, and I will. God demanded praise from Job, and He commands it from us today. Jesus demanded praise, but it's not only from creation. Consider consider His words in the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus claims the temple of God as His own. He is not just, you ready for this, aching. He is The king. See, every other king that had controlled the worship of Israel had done so with a full understanding that the temple was the temple of God. It was God's house. And they may have controlled what worship took place in God's house, but none of them walked in and said, this is my house. But Jesus says, this is my house. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am he who was prophesied. I am the Prince of peace. And upon my shoulders will rest all the governments of the world. He is the King. He is the one to whom all praise and honor are due and He demands it. Why could Jesus demand it? Because it is rightfully His. And in these days that for so many of you are difficult and scary, Jesus is still the King. And He is still worthy of praise. And He is still worthy of honor. The world still belongs to Him. My question is, do you belong to Him today? As we gather for Palm Sunday, I don't want you to be ignorant of the reality. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem deluded or on a whim. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and he rode in as a king on purpose. We look forward to Good Friday and Easter with the realization that we will face it under a certain degree of uncertainty and suffering, but be reminded That the suffering servant on the cross and the resurrected Savior is none other than the King of the universe. And He demands your praise and your glory. He gets to set the rules. You must come to Him helpless and humble because He is in control. And in some ways, we are all being reminded today that we are not in control. Not at all. We need a King. And His name is Jesus. We may never have an answer for why pandemics happen. But they should serve to remind us of our need for a Savior. Jesus is the King. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate His arrival into Jerusalem. No pandemic or plague will ever change the fact that Jesus is the King. He claimed His right as He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And He secured His place. With a victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. He deserves praise because of who He is. He deserves praise because of what He's done. And He deserves your praise because He longs to be your God, your King, and your Savior. Will you praise Him today? Will you serve Him today? Will you honor Him today? Will you surrender to Jesus and be saved? If the only thing Jesus had ever done was to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the story ended there, he wouldn't be the Savior. But the story didn't end with the waving of palm branches and the proclamation of Hosanna. The story continued on to Good Friday. And on Good Friday, Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was beaten and stripped, and Jesus was crucified. And if the story had only ended on Good Friday, then Good Friday would be a bad Friday. But Good Friday is not a bad Friday, it's a Good Friday. Because what we know is that it didn't end on Friday. We know that on Sunday he got up. We know that on Sunday the grave was empty. We know that on Sunday his victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave was proclaimed. And we know that because of Sunday that Friday was a good day because on Friday the death of Jesus Christ was the propitiating, sanctifying satisfactory payment for your sins and mine. We know that on Good Friday, Jesus died so that your sins could be forgiven. We know that on Good Friday, Jesus died so that you might be saved. See, Palm Sunday is the beginning, it's not the ending. And Good Friday, Good Friday is the climax, but it's not the exclamation point. Good Friday, it builds and builds until the death of Jesus But the story of Jesus is unlike any we've ever known before because as it falls off with a group of ragtag, disappointed, disillusioned disciples, history changes because on Sunday morning he gets up out of the grave. We are living in a time of historical crisis. That's just a reality. Many of you are afraid. Many of you are concerned. But can I tell you? That the solution for fear, the solution for fear is faith. And when Jesus met a group of Galilean disciples who were confused about what the future may hold, he welcomed their praise as a solution to their problem. When Job went to the Lord with questions and concerns about what was happening in the world around him, God responded, I've got this, it's okay. And Jesus wants you to know that He's the King. He's in charge. He's not left His throne. We praise Him today. He's worthy. I look forward to gathering with many of you here on our property next Sunday morning. We will have a Good Friday service of some sort that you will be able to tune into on Friday as we reflect upon and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But I want to remind you all that we don't approach this week with fear and trembling. We approach this week with faith and rejoicing. Because on this most holy of all weeks, we are reminded that nothing can stop the power of our God. A Roman cross was insufficient. Caesar was insufficient. The Pharisees were insufficient. The religious leaders were insufficient. And I can promise you, that the power of a microscopic virus will not stop the power of the King. He's the King, I tell you. And His name is Jesus. And He deserves your praise. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank You for all that have tuned in with us this morning. Lord, I am so grateful for this privilege to connect over the internet. Lord, we look forward to the day when we can embrace one another. Lord God, when we can shake hands and high-five. We can lay hands on one another and pray. We can encourage one another with our physical presence. But until that time, Father, I pray that the God of all peace would fill the homes of our church family and all others who've tuned in. Lord God, I pray that the God of all peace would be the God of comfort. I pray, Lord God, that we would all see you as our King, deserving of all praise and honor. God, fill us with peace this week as we look forward reflecting upon and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you once again for tuning in. It is our privilege to be your church and I look forward to the day when we can be together again.